Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got NBA Hall of Famer, the legend, my coach, Rick Barry. Rick Barry, we, we do appreci appreciate his endorsement of the oatmeal recipe and uh, do my stint in New Jersey playing with the New Jersey Shortcats Shore in the USBL. Um, Coach Barry and I became really, really good friends and uh, we kept our relationship um, fresh through the years. Um, but we also share something special in our free throw percentage um, in our college, college years. I led the nation and I'm pretty sure he led the everything else in uh, scoring and free throw shooting and, and whatnot. But a uh, great interview uh, with my former coach and uh, talking about the NBA, college, the whole nine. So uh, let's get into the interview. Hey, coach. What's up? How are you doing today? <laughs> great. What's up? Long time no see. <laughs> yeah. Well, how have you been? Uh, just keeping it busy. Just uh, doing what I do with the Day Foundation. It's moving real well. So that's about it. Well, God bless you for that. That's wonderful what you're doing for the kids. God will, God will bless you for that, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, Coach. I just want to get you on. And, you know, um, this podcast is basically about, you know, uh, student athletes getting information, talking to other, you know, uh, professional players, collegiate players, coaches on on their journey, how it got, how, how they did things so um, families can have that, that knowledge to move forward. All right, let's go. Anytime you're ready. Yes, sir. So um, what we do, Coach, we always start from the from the beginning. I know you're from the New Jersey area. Um, and I also read that it was kind of funny that uh, you got the 20, number 24 because of Willie Mays. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. That was my hero. I was a better baseball player. That was my sport growing up. And my dad taught me how to catch the basket catch like Willie had. And so he was a rookie that year. And so that was my guy. So I got right. pretty good, pretty good player. And so uh, yeah, he was he was the reason for 24. And uh, what a great world we live in, huh? I mean, yes, I sir. later in life became personal friends with my boyhood hero. I mean, how's that? Wow. That's unbelievable. That's awesome. So, yeah. Coach, take us take us back to the elementary, um, the more park recreation year, years, um, and when you when you started, and who introduced you to the the sport or sports particularly. Well, basically, my father was a, a semi pro player and coach, and my father coached the St. Peter and St. Paul parochial grammar school team and my brother was on that team and my brother as an eighth grader was playing I was in the fifth grade and I made the team as a fifth grader wow. so I started playing at a very early age uh, my brother got interested he was nine so I was five when I first was introduced and my father thank God knew the game and was a strict fundamentalist and so he gave me the foundation to build on it was fundamentals and this is the thing I always emphasize all the time 
you have to learn the basic fundamental principles and concepts of whatever it is you're doing in life, whether it's in basketball, whether it's in music, science, it doesn't really matter. You have to have that background. You, you just have to. And if you don't have it, then you're going to you're going to be left. You know, you're going to you're not going to be as good as you can be, because then if you have talent and skill and ability, you know what to do with it because you understand the concepts of the game. So. Uh, he taught me that, um, you know, I always remember man ball relationship, uh, you know, getting back, you know, running, always seeing the ball when you're playing, screening off the boards, dribbling the right way. I mean, all the good fundamental stuff that's very critical. And that's I know that that's something you're doing, uh, you know, with your foundation and with the kids and all. And that's critical. And so you're doing them a huge favor because you have yeah. the first person that gets them is so critical because if he doesn't do that, what happens is they develop bad habits. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do in life is to develop a bad habit. One of the most difficult things is to break that habit. For sure, for sure. So you, uh, so in rec, in rec ball, did you, you play in the, in the, in the, in the rec environment? Was it a, a strong like a recreational program that you play other other teams? It was like? a league. It was a, it was a it was a league that they had in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where I grew up, and we played in the played in the league, and uh, that's that's what I did. Then I would go to the park, though. I mean, I lived, I grew up in a multicultural area and i would sure. go to the playground i mean i would play with everybody you know the blacks sure. the whites the, the the asians whatever whoever hell was there sure. we all played ball on the playground you know and falling down and getting rocks in your knees the <laughs> crazy sure. stuff that happens out there so and i did that all the time so that was uh that was part of what that was part of what i did and uh and what helped me to to develop as a player i spent a lot of time doing it and then i go out on my own just to the i go to in the summertime when I was in high school, I would when I finally decided to go with basketball instead of baseball, I would just go to the park all day. My mom would make me breakfast and make a lunch for me. I'd leave. I wouldn't come home till dinner time. I'd go to the park. If nobody was there, I'd play. If nobody was there, I was practicing. I was shooting. I was doing tip drills. I was dribbling. I was just spent the whole day just working on my game. Right. So in high school, coach, take us back to the to the high school era when, you know, say your freshman, sophomore year, you started playing and then you got the inches of playing the next level of college. So take us back to the high school years when you, those times were um, started to really peak for you. Well, that was actually a difficult time for me when I got into high school playing, especially when I got to the varsity, because we had a coach that I, I, I was going to quit basketball. He, he, I just, he was crazy. He screamed and hollered and yelled. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was, my father and my brother had to talk me out of stopping playing. They said, you got to, you can't stop. You know, you got a chance to get a college education and be a really good player. And thank God they talked me out of it. Uh, so it was not a great situation for me when I was playing, uh, you know, in high school. And then, the best thing that ever happened was my choice to go to the University of Miami when I got recruited and Bruce Hale was the coach there and they played a pro style of basketball, um, up-tempo game. And he was a former NBA player, a great player. And that probably, other than my father helped me so much and my brother, that probably was the best thing for me because I really had four years because you couldn't play varsity as a freshman back then, but I had four years and you couldn't go into the draft early. Right. So I had four years of basically minor league training for playing NBA style basketball. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why I came into the league and was able to do what I did, because to be honest with you, it was easier in the NBA than it was in college. In college, the entire defense is always geared to stop me. Boxing one, triangle and two. Mm. I go to the pros. I got one guy guarding me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Jamel, I'm talking right. one guy. I said, this is unbelievable. I only got one guy to worry about here. Of course, <laughs> I had to try to trick the when I, if I get by him, I had to trick the big guys and try to shoot it over Chamberlain and Russell and those guys. But 
Uh, I I was able to make first team all pro as a rookie. That just doesn't happen. Very that doesn't often. happen. Doesn't happen. In this time out message, we have Janet Carter. So if I had unlimited resources, um, it would be wonderful to have a, a, a program that would be in the community that would be easily accessible to students and, and student athletes and really any, any kid um, to gain the knowledge that they would need for, you know, wellness, but mm-hmm. also to provide not just not just information, like not just standing in front of them and teaching them, but providing them with the tools like cooking skills or um, taking them to a grocery store and shopping around with them or actually giving them healthy food. Now let's get back to the interview. So coach, before we go go into that, because I want to talk about that uh, as we move forward, but Recruiting wars. Well, why did you choose Miami? And I asked that no recruiting wars. No recruiting Back in wars. Well, why did you? Well, why did you choose Miami then? Jermel, there was no recruiting wars back in those days. It was a different world. Trust me. Got you. Uh, well, that's, what, that's what I want. That's what I want to hear about, Coach. Yeah. Well, here's my thing. First of all, I wanted a coach that I could really like after right. my experience in college, and Bruce Hale was just an awesome, awesome person. And so that was big. The other thing is, is I lived and was raised in, in, in Northeast in New Jersey, and I wanted to get the hell out of there in the wintertime. I did not want to go to any school where I had to put on an overcoat, earmuffs, gloves, scarves. I didn't want to have to deal with that. So Miami was very appealing to me in that sure. regard that I was going to go to school. I could go with flip-flops and shorts and T-shirts and enjoy the warm weather. Uh, it wasn't a great basketball powerhouse. It wasn't like an experience of going to North Carolina or Duke or places, Kansas, where basketball was such a big thing. It was a football school. Gotcha. But for me, basketball wise, it was the best thing for me because I learned so much about how to play the game the right way and help me become an NBA basketball player. So that's why I went there. And it was uh, it was perfect for me. So, coach, besides the athletic uh, part of it, and you say you learn the NBA style, the pro style of play. What did you learn from your coach from an off-court standpoint of how to be a professional? Well, I think I got that. I, I think I got most of that from my father as far as having pride in everything you do and giving your best effort. I mean, you should always give your best effort in everything you do. And along with that, never be afraid to fail. I mean, we're human beings. We're going to fail. Sure. And so if you're intelligent, you learn from the mistakes that you make and you minimize those mistakes and you don't keep repeating them, which helps make you better. Um, and as far as Bruce was concerned, I mean, he gave me the freedom to be able to use the talents and skills that I had and, and, and play a style of basketball that was conducive for my game. You've seen it. I'm sure you've experienced sometimes you go someplace, you play for a coach and he makes you play the game the way he wants it played. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the best thing for you. And that sure. happens to so many players. It's just amazing how that happens. I really do believe that if you're a good coach in any sport, especially in basketball, knowing that firsthand. You have to analyze your personnel and you need to put in a system, whether it's on defense or offense, a system that's going to utilize the skill and talents of your player in the best way possible. And what I did that nobody ever did when I coached, I've never had any coach do this. I asked my players when I coached in the minor leagues, I want two plays at least from you that you've either had run for you or a play that you wish was run for you. I remember and that. the reason I did that is for this. He's going to show me where on the court does he have the most confidence in his ability to score. Mm. Now, 
can I run what I want to run and put the ball in his hands in that position? Mm. And if I can't, I'm going to use his play mm. because I'm not going to have him show me he wants the ball on the left low block and I'm going to run something to give him the ball on the right wing. That's that true. doesn't make any freaking sense. That's true. That's true. So, so coach, when you got to the NBA, you said the transition was a lot easier as far as playing. Only one person had to guard you. But were you ever, I say, starstruck when you first got to the league and see guys you saw on TV or talked about when you were in college? And how did you deal with that? And I've obviously hit Jordan right off the top and really, really embraced that. How did you embrace those, those starstruck uh, experiences? Well, it was almost surreal for me. I mean, because the, when I went out to the Warriors after getting drafted, we go and we played exhibition. We played against the Lakers. Well, my hero in basketball was Elgin Baylor. Mm. I mean, I'm out there. I'm guarding my freaking basketball wow. professional hero. I mean, wow. so it was almost like a surreal situation. I said, is this really happening? Wow. Um, but it wasn't like I was so awestruck that that I wasn't going to go out and play. I just took it as a great challenge and a great opportunity and a great experience. Got you. Um, as far as injury, coach. Did you have any major injuries and why are you playing the game? And, and how did you how did you react to that, you know, coming back as a player? Well, any injury is something that's a scary situation. I had a cartilage, which back in those days was a big deal because I had to get cut open. and didn't have arthroscopic surgery. Uh, and I had two of those. And so I didn't know after the first one whether or not I was ever going to come back and how well I would be able to play and what the recovery was going to be like. I basically played the majority of my career with a knee that was maybe 75% of what it should have been hmm. um, and still managed to do pretty well. I said, God, what could I have done <laughs> if I had a really good knee? Um, and, and, and if I had all of the training and everything else that's available to guys now, because Jermel, when I played, we had nothing, zero. We had no strength coach, no agility coach, no dietitian. We had nothing. Didn't lift weights, did nothing. I'm talking about zero. And, it was just a whole different world. And that's why when some people come up to me and say, well, Rick, you know, you guys in your time, you guys couldn't play with these guys today. And I said, are you, are you actually serious? I said, do you understand how much better we would all be if we had available to us what they have available to them? I tell people I would be faster, stronger, quicker, more endurance, jump higher. It'd be crazy how much better I would be if I was playing today than when I played back in those days. That's a, that's a profound statement, Coach. Um, what do you think was the turning point? Um, so you got into the league, you did really well when you got in as a rookie, but when was the turning point when you were like, hey, I got to figure it out. You know, I really, really belong here and I'm going to take my, my game to a, another level. Well, I think that for me, the realization that I could be a pro player came when I was in college. I was a sophomore. And we had a big center named Mike McCoy, a seven-footer. And Lou Mose, who was the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers, came out to scout him. And after it was done, they asked him, and there was a story in the paper. He said, well, I'm not sure about McCoy, but I'm going to tell you right now, Rick Barry is going to be a great NBA basketball player. This is after he saw me as a sophomore. Wow. So if you've got the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers making a statement about you, that gives a hell of a lot of confidence to me to, to realize that, hey, I have a chance to do this. And so I really got serious about working at the game, but it was a great incentive for me. Uh, and so that was probably a big uh, turning point. And then I had the good fortune of getting to know Jerry West during those uh, exhibition games when I was a rookie and sat down and talk. He says, Rick, look, I'm going to tell you something. He says, you're going to be a great player. He said, but you, 
What you have to understand is that you got to be prepared that you're going to go around the league and they're going to make adjustments and they're going to adjust to what you're doing and try to get you to do other things you said. So you have to be prepared for that and be ready for it. And I always kind of was in that regard because I didn't really have offensively any real weakness offensively because I could drive left, drive right. I could shoot this ball. I could finish. I could make my free throws. And so I always had the confidence. And I think that's the critical element. And one thing that you have to get if you want to really be great at anything is you have to have confidence in yourself and your abilities to do what it is you spent so much time training to do. And if you have that confidence, you eliminate the one word from your vocabulary and from the world that is how it's used so often. I just, I almost want to throw up sometimes when I hear it. <laughs> how many times you hear, oh, pressure this, pressure that, pressure this, pressure this. Mm-hmm. Trust me. There is no such thing as pressure in the real world unless you allow it to become a reality. Mm. There are situations where you're going to be asked to perform at the highest level possible. A lot is on the line, perhaps winning and losing a game or a championship. But the thing is, is that you're still being asked to do what? What you've trained to do. Mm. And so if you believe in yourself, you live for those situations. I tell people Mm. that if I could control and go back in history and go back in time and control what took place in my career, I would want every game I played in to come down to the last 10 seconds and I want the Mm. ball in my hands. Mm. The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. That's something to think about because you're absolutely right. If you're practicing for it, there's no such thing as pressure because you're prepared for that. Thank it's you. Pressure, it's, it's pressure when you're not prepared. For the That's exactly you're right. Enjoy. Pressure can become a reality only when you lack the confidence in yourself to do what it is you're being asked to do. That's awesome. So, so coach, I, I love that. Coach, so you wrote 24 because of Willie Mays. Everything is a result of something else, right? So um, one thing that we have in common, I led the, I led the country in free throw percentage uh, my senior year at 90. And I'm proud of you for doing that. And I'm proud of you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I didn't shoot it, shoot it underhand. What struck the underhand form and, and what gave you the confidence to stick with it? Like I'm pretty sure people, you, you had some tough times where you probably didn't have a good streak with making shots. People try to get you to change your shot. You didn't, obviously. What started the underhand and what gave you, gave you the confidence to stick with it? Well, it goes back to my father again. First, I want to clear one thing up. You, Jamel keeps calling me coach. That's because I did coach him in the minor leagues. I'm not really a coach now, but I appreciate yes, it. I still, I still, you still, you still my coach. That's okay. Uh, uh, I'm giving you life coaching lessons now here, and as far as basketball, so yeah, so it's my dad. My dad shot that way. My dad said, "Son, I think you can shoot better." I was maybe a mid seventy percent shooter, and you know, to me, if you're not eighty percent, you're not a good free throw shooter. I'm sorry. I mean, that's four out of every five. I mean, I got. Nobody's trying to stop you. Same ball, same size, this same distance, same ball, same size basket. How the hell do you not make four out of every five? Nobody's trying to stop you. It's just pathetic. And so uh, I tr- I said, Dad, I don't want to do it. I said, what girls shoot that way, Dad? Everybody's going to make fun of me. And I remember him saying, clear as a bell, like the same word. Like this was yesterday. Son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. Mm. And I remember my first game exactly. It was in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I switched in either my junior or senior year. I don't remember which one for sure. First game on the road after I worked with my dad in the summer and I gave it a sincere effort. And I said, wow, this is good. So I really worked at it hard and I made the switch. That first game on the road, I'm shooting free throw later in the game. And a guy from the stands yells out as clear as that, hey, Barry, you big sissy shooting like that. <laughs> and I heard the guy next to him so perfectly clear say to him, why are you making fun of him? He doesn't miss. Mm. And from that point on, I was golden. That's what's up. That's what's up. Coach, I knew you won an NBA championship in 75, correct? Yes. I was one years old at that time. Were you, were you consider that your biggest win of your career? If not, what would you consider your biggest win? It could have been a, a game you played against one of the top-notch players and you beat them. It had to been a regular season game. But what if you consider your biggest your win in your career? Well, that's it. I mean, you only play for one reason. At least you should only sure. be playing for one reason. That's to win championships. For sure. I mean, individual awards don't really mean much of anything. They're nice to have. I mean, I equate it this way. So you've got a birthday cake. You've got candles. You've got icing. You've got flowers. You've got all this wonderful stuff that they put on it, right? Take all that and put it on a plate with no cake. Looks like a big mess in there. <laughs> right? right? I mean, seriously. Right. So you got to have the cake, and the championship is the cake. So I got the cake, and fortunately, because I did a lot of things well in a lot of different areas, I have a lot of the adornments. I have the candles, and I have the icing, and I have the cherries, and I have all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of individual accomplishments that I did that make the cake look a little bit better. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we were at New Jersey, Coach, um, Clifford Ray is one of your, your, your best friends, your, your, your close buddies. Um, how was your relationship, what you would say, with Cliff? Was he one of your best friends, you know, throughout your career? And um, how did you guys become friends? Well, he's one of my best friends in life. I mean, we're like brothers. And For sure. um, I met him. I, I went when he got traded from the Bulls to the Warriors. I actually picked him up at the airport and he couldn't believe I was there to pick him up. I said, and say, and later on, I thought, Mr. Clifford, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. I said, look, I make a living <laughs> off of pick and roll place. And I want my mm. big guys coming out to be put himself in a position that I can use them and turn them into screeners. Mm. I said, if you do that, I'll get you a bunch of dunks. And I always mm-hmm. tried to get Clifford to dunk early in the game because then he'd keep coming out to, to <laughs> be in a position so I could use him as a screener. And I think I actually do think I'll say this. I mean, I, I defy anybody, somebody to find anybody 
who ran the pick and roll play better than Clifford Ray and I did. I, I think we ran it better than anybody ever did. Today, they run it with stupid angles. Guys don't have the communication they need. People aren't slipping screens. It's one of the most difficult plays in basketball to defend if you know how to run it properly. And so Clifford and I got dear friends. We, we go usually once a year, we'll go on a great fishing trip. We usually go to Alaska once a year and we spend time. He lives in not a couple hours from me here in Florida when I spend half the year down here. And, uh, and he's just a dear friend. He's like one of the greatest people ever. And um, I'm just, I'm happy to have him as a friend. I'm very lucky to have him as a friend. He's a wonderful human being. Awesome. Um, so coach, we're ending our career in the NBA and we're going into the, the next phase of the afterlife. Um, how do you feel going into that transition? Was it, was it hard? Um, were, were you thinking of things like when did you knew it was kind of starting to wind down and did you thought about things to do after afterwards? Well, I always thought about that. I think you always have to be prepared for what you're going to do. That's why I did broadcasting. I took all my elective courses in college. I couldn't have a minor, but I probably had enough credits to have a major in radio, TV and film work because I wanted to do that. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that for many years. So I was prepared for when the time came. In fact, I actually was doing it. I actually did national stuff while I was still playing in the NBA. Hmm. And, uh, and so I did that for many years and prepared myself properly. And I'm, I'm probably busier now, Jamel, than I've ever been in my life. I have so many things going on, so many exciting things in so many different areas in the world of cannabinoids and, and just so many things. I mean, it's, I don't have enough time to even go over them and right. what I bore everybody with it, but it's very exciting for me. I've never been one to sit back and do nothing. Um, I'm into pickleball. Uh, you got to keep yourself, you have to have a passion. I used to do long driving and golf and then they got, they took that away because I love to compete. And that's what I missed more than anything was competing. When I played, I had to give that up. And so I found long driving and golf, which I didn't want some world championships doing that in my age division. And then when that ended, I had to find something else. And my wife introduced me to pickleball. And now I've done that. I've won some some world and, and national championships in pickleball. And just to immerse myself into that, I have a company called Pickleball Connections that we're getting started up. That's very exciting, involved with a cannabinoid company that's the sponsor of the Professional Pickleball Association. Uh, and we have some unbelievably great products and a lot of things I'm involved in that are extremely exciting. And so I'm, I'm an eight type personality. I'm not somebody, I'm not going to go just <laughs> sit down and do nothing. I mean, right. I'm always active. I'm always doing things and I, I love challenges. And so, and thank God I'm, I'm blessed with, uh, you know, with good health at my age, just turned 78. I tell them I'm 78 and feeling great. Good. In this time out message, we got coach Bobby Crimmins. They wanted ACC players to play for them in that franchise. So I got shifted over to the Carolina Cougars. And um, I was the last guy cut from the Cougars. And then I got bounced around. I, I went, I tried, I played a lot of AAU basketball, which really helped me. Mm -hmm. that, and, and then I went overseas to Ecuador. And then I came back and played in a big AAU tournament and I played very well and got invited to try out for the 1972 Olympic team. Now let's get back to the interview. Rick, when you were coaching me and you are coaching student athletes, what benefit do you get out of that, of, of giving this game to student athletes and kids as a whole, because I, I get I, it's very rewarding for me where I can teach 
a kid that's have a blank slate and that at three or four weeks, they're through doing things they've never done before. What benefit that you get from working with uh, young student athletes or coaching per se? Well, I think what you're doing is, uh, is certainly commendable uh, and very, very important because you're getting them first. And like you said, to have a clean slate, they don't have bad habits. You can get them, you can mold them, you can, you can help them as far as the sport is concerned and along with it, instill qualities in them to help them in life in general. I mean, that's an important thing because it's not just about them as an athlete. They're a person first and foremost, and their life is going to be way beyond and a lot longer in normal life as opposed to sports. And so they have to be prepared for that. And so if you can prepare them properly to learn to get a good education, to apply themselves, to have the pride that I talked about, to number one priority for kids. Every time I talk to them and I see some young people, I said, do you know what your number one priority needs to be? And they look at me and I said, it's get a good education. Mm. find something you have a love and a passion for and apply yourself to it. Have a goal. Try to see if you become a great athlete, you know, go for it, give it everything you've got, but be prepared that the chances of that happening are fairly slim. Don't get discouraged by it, but have your backup plan, have plan B ready to go. Actually it should be plan a one and a two, because mm. it's just as important. It's not more important. And if you can do that and instill those kind of qualities in them to take that great pride in what they do is in the classroom, whether it's on the field of competition or in the classroom or in life in general, respect people. I mean, just good qualities to help make you a good person. You have a chance to do that in your position as a coach. Sure. And a lot of these kids, when you, I got them a lot of older. I would have a hard time doing what you're doing. I, I, and I admit to it. I, I can tell in like five minutes if somebody really has any chance at all to be good <laughs> basketball. Sure. And, and, and if I know that they can't, it, I, I'd want to spend my time with somebody that I can take to the high level. Okay. It's hard <laughs> I, to me to go and spend hours working with somebody who might, might be able to make a team somewhere. I, sure. I, I admire and respect the fact that you have the patience to do that. My wife is awesome at doing that. I can't do that, but give me somebody with some talent. And I, I really love doing that. It's very rewarding to me. And when I coached in the minor leagues to see some guys, and it was astonishing to me to see how many guys came from reputedly great programs. And I was shocked at how poor fundamentally they were and the things that they were doing. I, I just couldn't even believe it. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic, but what you're doing, you've got them at the right age. You, you can be incredibly helpful to these young people and God bless you for what you're doing, but just instill all the great qualities for life and for the and for the sport of basketball and god will continue i think to bless you for what you're doing because you're going to change the lives of a lot of kids by doing what you're doing and uh, and i appreciate that and respect it yes sir um i'm a dad rick and um how much i wanted much so to like give him all that i have so i can get him to the next level that i've never been at but sometimes it's it's hard right because sometimes he wants to be a kid sometimes the regimen that needs to be He's not into it yet. He's he's absorbing it. He's 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 filling it in. But my question to you is that you having four or five kids that played at at the next level, how, how what what tips you have on other parents dads that's listening on how to be effective of getting that through? Um, and before you answer that, in inclusion, do you think it was a lot easier than being more receptive because you played at a high level versus you know a, a parent that's you know a uh, 
you know, a teacher that's coaching his sons up to try to get to the next level. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> a number of things there. I mean, first of all, every parent becomes one of the stupidest people on the face of the earth during their life with a child, because you will get to a point where you don't even know how old is your son now. He's 11. Okay. You're getting to the point you're going to get, you're going to, you may get really stupid, Jamel. You don't understand it because dad, buddy, that's stupid. I mean, seriously, it's just, a, it's just the way life goes. And then later on, you're going to get smart again. Okay. And he goes, mm. oh my God, my father got really smart again, but that's just normal life. Okay. It probably was more difficult with me being who I was. Mm. I was able to expose him to the game, teach him things, take him to camps. So I had all of that. But even my son Scooter, he once said, he, I get the free throw. He could shoot the underhand free throw. Great. But he said, dad, it's hard enough being your son without shooting underhanded free throws. Yeah. And I said, you may be correct, but if you could shoot a higher percentage, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice by not doing it just because you don't want to have to be compared to me. Mm. And so I think it was very difficult. John, same way. I mean, you know, why are you always going to bring my father up doing stuff? I mean, it's not an easy thing to follow in the footsteps of a successful parent in the same profession, regardless mm. of what it is. And I mm. think most people will tell you that. Um, it's great if you can do it. Uh, it does provide a lot of wonderful opportunities that you might not have gotten if it weren't for that. Um, but as a parent, it goes back to what we talked about initially. Expose your child to a coach who will fundamentally make them sound, make them a sound fundamental player. Fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. The most critical thing you can do and expose your child to various sports and activities. Let them make the decision as to which one they really like and support them. Don't try to live your life vicariously through them and make them do the things you wished you had done or wanted to do. It's their life. Let them make the decisions and you be there to support them and encourage them. Makes sense. And, and basically that's the most effective way that you would say to put that, right? No, 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 no certain uh, discipline, no certain talk, no certain environment. Just let it, let it, let well, them... you're going to, you're going to put the, the, the characteristics you talk about are the qualities in there, right? The, the, the taking pride in what you do. Uh, I mean, things of that nature, that once they make the decision to do it, if you've instilled those types of characteristics into them, they're going to have a better chance to be successful at whatever that endeavor happens to be. And it doesn't matter if it's sports or not. Exactly. It's the same. You should approach everything in life the same way. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, if you're a musician, you got to learn the basics of the instrument that you're playing. You have to understand what music is all about. And don't force it down their throat. Let them make the decision. That's why I say expose. I did that. I found out I didn't want to play football because, I mean, I was a skinny little guy growing up. I tried to discourage my kids. I never said they couldn't. And all of them, but my son Canyon, of my five boys, all of them played at least one year of tackle football, which I didn't want them to do. But I let them do it because they have to experience it's their life. And they found out for themselves that that's not what they wanted to do, fortunately, and didn't get hurt. And so that's what you want to do. Be there to support them, but expose them to as much as possible so that they get a well-rounded view of what's out there, what's available, and try to find what it is that pushes their buttons and gets them passionate. Makes sense. Um, it's, a, it's a common topic right now, coaching mental health. Um, you know, back in the days, I ask my guests all the time, back in the days, we would say, you know, stick your head, stick your head down, deal with it, toughen it out. But now it's a whole different um, uh, conversation about it. 
Um, what's your take on 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 mental health in in in, in athletes? And what would you suggest um, resources for them to look into if that's you know a situation they're uh, suffering from? Well, I'm not I'm not an expert in that, so I'm certainly not going to give advice out. That's something you'd have to have a psychologist or somebody else who understands that and knows that to make recommendations. I certainly wouldn't want to be the person to give that type of a recommendation out. I just think that if you see that your child's having some difficulties or some problems with things, you know, go in and you know maybe meet with the school counselor or somebody and get somebody who's an expert in that field to try to help you in that area. Don't try to be the end all and the answer to everything for your child because you're not an expert in everything. Go get somebody who really knows that area where they may have some difficulties or have some problems to be of assistance to them. But coach, do you think when people say this, this person's been in drought, he haven't scored, have been donuts for a couple of games, he's going through some, some stuff off the court. Do you think as, as athletes that can that be equated to a mental health or are we just saying we just, it's in a slump? Well, I think everybody goes through some slumps at times. And I think it's just a matter of whether or not you have the strength of character to be able to get yourself through it. And again, it comes down to this. Right. If you have confidence in your abilities, it's not going to affect you because mm. you're going to realize, like, I, I, it's so funny. My son, Kenya, so freaking smart, master's in nuclear engineering, never had a B, whatever. And I said to him, son, look, you got to keep shooting. I mean, if I miss my first 10 shots, I guarantee you I'm taking that 11th one because the mm. odds are in my favor. He goes, dad. <laughs> The odds aren't in your favor. Every time you shoot, it's 50-50. It either goes in or it doesn't. I said, okay, mathematically, you're correct. But I believe mm. the 11th one was going in, mm. which is the important thing. You mm. can't be afraid. Scorers have to, you know, you got to shoot the ball to score. So you have to, you can't get discouraged. Hey, the greatest story of all is my seventh game in the, against, the, against the Bulls in the Western Conference Finals in 75, and we won the title. I was stinking up the gym. I was like two for 14. So I was horrible. Mm. Al Adels took me out of the game. The coach took his leading scorer and player out of the game halfway through the third quarter and sat me the rest of the quarter and into the fourth quarter. Mm. I mean, you talk about guts. For sure. But I was there doing it. I could have been done. I, I was, the, I was back then the goat was the guy who screwed up. I would have been the goat and it was all on me. But I believed in myself. And so when I came in, I was open. Shit. I took that next shot and I made it. And then I made like five. I mean, so I backed and I played the way I know I could play. You have to have that confidence in order to overcome those types of situations where things aren't working for you. Understand in basketball and even in life, offensively basketball, it's a roller coaster. Right. It's up and down, up and down. Defense is what could be constant for you. And that's why teams have to focus and make a total commitment to team defense because defense will keep you in games when you're having one of those down periods offensively. That's critical. And so if you have confidence in yourself, you go through those little things. Hey, it's down. I'm not doing well with that. That's okay. You keep playing. And here's the thing. If you aren't making your outside shots, stop shooting the outside shot. Drive to the basket. Get to the free throw line. Get out on a fast break. Go get an offensive rebound. Go do something productive. Don't just keep jacking up bad shots if you're struggling that day. Right, right. Um, so, Coach, you've been playing since, like you say, since you were younger. Um, what, what lessons have you learned through sports, um, particularly that you apply to your everyday life right now? that it's much more fun to be successful with teammates mm. 
Hmm. Individual success is one thing. Team success is a totally different one. Who do you share it with when you do it on your own? You're a tennis player. You play singles. You win. You're the best in the world. Oh, great. I feel good. I'm the best in the world. But who do you share it with? Hmm. If there isn't anybody that's done it, you might have people supporting you, your wife, your kids, your family, your coaches, whatever. But they're not playing with you. Hmm. That's true. Same thing in golf. That's true. That's why basketball, when we get together, I was just with my guys. We just did some interviews and stuff because we were finally going to get a documentary about the Warriors 74-75 greatest upset in the history of NBA finals and in all major sports. It's going to finally get done. And we did that. We got together. But it's so great when we get together because we were a family. Hmm. We shared so much together, our emotions, our successes, our failures. It's just so much more rewarding to be a part of a team than it is as an individual. Now, would I like to have known that I was the best player in the world? Yeah, but in a team sport, you never are. You can be maybe become one of the best at your position. You know, so if you really are, that's what motivates you and that's what you want to achieve. Well, then play tennis or play mm. pickleball or, or play golf, play a sport where it's an individual sport. But if you want to have a more rewarding experience that lasts forever, be a part of a great team. That's a good point, Coach. Now, I, I interviewed um, Monty Lee, who's the head coach of Clemson baseball, just this past couple of days ago. And that's one thing that he mentioned, too, about back in the days where you said you mentioned not having those training and not having those type of support. But he said, even though the kids got him now, you talked about having that, that team camaraderie was important. He's talking about him now being a coach, that the team concept is not there from the players anymore currently. They don't have a team concept. It's more of an individualized approach because they do a more individualized thing to get better for a team. What do you think? Yeah, well, and well, it's also because of the money and what the opportunity is. And so that's changed the dynamic, you know, considerably. Uh, you know, there's so much of the thing with the money involved. That's why the parents get involved and they see them to be able to go ahead and change the life of their families. And so there's a lot more to it. But you still have to keep a level head. And, and that's where it's up to the parents to try to, to keep a child looking at it realistically and don't spoil them rotten. I mean, these kids get so spoiled at such an early age now because everybody's after them. They want to get them to go to their school. They want to get them to be a part of the money they're going to make. It's really, I feel sad for a lot of these kids and the stuff they have to go through. Uh, it's a much more difficult time to be involved in sports, to try to get to the professional level than it was back in my day. It's, there's no doubt about that. And there's so many more kids out there doing it because there's so much more available to them to help make them better. And the publicity is so big now. Back when I played 1975, Jamel, our finals in the NBA were on delayed television. Wow. 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 Well, I didn't even know that. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now... Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And its philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics.
in closing, we got the oatmeal recipe, Coach. Last last three questions. Um, and the oatmeal recipe is, is basically skill development, education, and nutrition. Um, the same product that we're happy to have your endorsement um, with a couple of years ago when you were here. And skill development, um, how important is skill development when it comes to professional and, and sports um, to you? I want to talk about skill development, education, and nutrition. So talk about skill development first, how important it is and how how do you apply it to your everyday life? Okay. Well, first of all, I would put education first because you have to be educated to have the skill development because you have to learn it, right? So education, skill development kind of go hand in hand, right? You have to be educated in the skills of what it is you're trying to do. So those would be you know, like 1A and 1B. Uh, and, and that's the most critical element of, of all of that. And then, of course, now you're into stuff. I mean, we, we ate the wrong stuff before games. We didn't have any of the stuff these guys have now. They have all these nutritionists. What's the best thing to do? Every every drill that you do, every lifting that you do is all sports specific now. I mean, you lift a certain way depending upon the sport that you're playing. And so it's very sophisticated. And so there's so much out there and available for these youngsters to be able to take advantage of. But number one and 1A is what it is, education and learn the fundamentals of the skills of that particular sport. I can't emphasize that enough. And then, you know, like you got the other stuff there, the nutrition is part of it because you want to stay healthy. You want to eat the right foods to have the right energy and be able to utilize those skills that you've worked so hard to develop to their fullest. For sure, for sure. Well, Coach, it's always a blessing to talk to you. I appreciate you supporting, you know, all of my programs, the day, day TV, when you were here, the podcast. So, again, I appreciate you. was happy to meet you, playing for you. So, again, I appreciate you all you do with the Day Foundation. And thanks, thanks you. Thanks all the time. My pleasure. And uh, it's been great to know you and have you be a little part of my life. And, and if uh, I was able to go ahead and impart anything to you, uh, then that makes it very meaningful for me. And uh, I wish you good luck with your son, who I remember when he was just a baby. But uh, please let me know when you get stupid, okay? Because you're going to get stupid. So just let me know when that happens, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God bless you and everybody. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. See ya. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. Uh, I want to thank Coach Rick Barry, uh, the great Hall of Famer, coming on and giving us uh, his wealth of knowledge on the game. Um, things that he's seen um, have, have have changed over the years, right, through the sport. And uh, we appreciate his presence and appreciate him giving back to the community and all the efforts he does for the sport. All right? We'll be right back. Don't forget to subscribe to the Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's triple threat spelled three R I P L E three H R E A T triple threat podcast. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with today foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes First of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on 
to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs, looking out for the best interest of the youth. The future of this country is in our youth, and everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful, and and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing, and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.